If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Welcome back to Town Talk. Our guest is Linda Lazuli, the Quad City's newest celebrity. Hi. Hi. Linda, tell the audience your story. Well, actually, I fell off a cruise ship. Oh, my. And I survived for three weeks by turning my evening gown into a flotation device. Oh, three weeks before you were rescued? Yeah, fortunately, a search plane caught the reflection from my earrings. and then your I was, earrings? Uh, yeah, the, the ones I'm wearing right now. So, anyway. These I was, earrings right here? Yeah. These and, are really gorgeous earrings. Well, thanks. So, sharks were starting to circle. and then Where'd they, they come from? Well, I assume from wherever sharks live. No, I mean the earrings. What? Oh, from Diamonds on the Avenue. Uh-huh. So there I was, surrounded by sharks. When They're suddenly... nice, aren't they? Uh, sharks? No, Diamonds on the Avenue. Uh, okay, listen, do you want to hear about my rescue at sea or Diamonds on the Avenue? Well, why don't we let our audience decide? Sharks? Diamonds on the Avenue? There's something irresistible about fine jewelry from Diamonds on the Avenue. On 29th Street at 23rd Avenue in Moline. Diamonds on the Avenue. Home of the Wow Factor. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau got a lot of attention for saying this recently. While not forcing anyone to get vaccinated, I chose to make sure all the incentives and all the protections were there to encourage Canadians to get vaccinated. It's technically true in that the Trudeau government never physically grabbed people and stabbed COVID vaccines into their arms. But Canada did end up the COVID-19 pandemic with some of the most onerous vaccine mandates in the democratic world. I mean, their 2021 campaign platform literally promised mandatory vaccination. Trudeau ordered the firing of any federal employee who couldn't show proof of two COVID vaccines. It didn't matter if they had natural immunity or worked a job where they never had contact with others. And then this started getting progressively applied to everyone else over whom the feds had regulatory power, even when it was no longer making epidemiological sense. The military, cell phone companies, bankers, and most famously, cross-border truckers. Good morning, Grant Edwards here at Liberty NZ Breakfast. Uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll have the weather in a moment, but uh, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that now, shall we? Yes. Uh, but what have we got coming up on the program? Well, we're going to hear from Dr. Sam Bailey. She's going to be talking about antibiotics. And uh, what the <laughs> it's a it's a good one. Make sure you're here for that. It's a little bit long, you know, about 15 minutes, but it's well worth it. So we'll have that. Oh, hopefully sometime between now and six o'clock. Uh, before the news with TNT Radio at 6, and uh, if not, if we can't fit it in, we'll do it between 6 and 7, but we'll definitely do it. So it's, this morning it's a short program, just 5 till 7. Hopefully I can get through all that I want to talk to you about. Also, we'll hear from Samantha Edwards as well. Uh, yes, Samantha Edwards. And also, what's that all about with, um, what's his name, Winston Peters? We'll have a look at that as well. There's a, there's a news report out about, um, I think it's talks about um, the Prime Minister having a phone call, or uh, I think it was an email sent from the terrorist uh, Brenton Tarrant, the apparent, you know, supposed apparent terrorist they say he is, he's been convicted and um, put away in jail. But uh, there's more to that than meets the eye. There's more to it, so we'll find out about that as well. First off, though, let's look at the uh, weather for the whole of New Zealand. First of all, the current extremes, you wouldn't believe this, down in the South Island, where it's usually freezing down there, in a place called Dunedin on the east coast, 
the temperature right now, at just just gone five o'clock in the morning, is 20.7 degrees. That is unbelievable. It's very warm down there. Dunedin, the lowest temperature is 9.5, and that's high enough in eastern Rangitaiki. The windiest place at the moment, it's very, very windy in Castle Point, 94 kilometres per hour. That would have to be one of the windiest... Uh, that's the windiest report I've given you for extremes in New Zealand, 94. That's up there, isn't it? That's 60 knots. That is fair. Now, that's way more than they're getting up in this so-called uh, Lola, the cyclone Lola. I don't know what's going on up there. Something strange happening because I yesterday I couldn't find any um, winds that were more than about 46 knots, maybe 49, I think, might have been the, the highest wind. That was it. And uh, they're talking about winds of two and 300 kilometres per hour. Well, you know, I mean, 90 knots, what's that? I mean, that's sort of up there, isn't it? Um, sorry, 46 knots, 50 knots, that's that's not, that's about 100 sort of kilometres per hour. So, you know, and that would take off, you know, if the if the roof's not nailed down properly, that's going to, well, screwed down, that's not going to be very, uh, do very well. So anyway, so we'll look at that as well, because um, I just think something weird's going on. They're asking for money to be sent up there. And there's all this damage, but they've got no communication. So I think there's something something fishy. I smell a rat with that one. Four past five. The lowest, uh, the yeah, we got that. Um, the wettest place to be at the moment is Milford Sound. It's fair old pouring down there with 9.9 millimetres of rain tipping onto the Milford area. Uh, let's look at the short forecast now for the entire country. There's a severe weather system and it bringing, it's going to be bringing heavy rain, gale force winds and snow to low levels in the south. Well, it's, I find that unbelievable when we've got temperatures. I mean, let's just look at these temperatures right now. Stewart Island, 10 degrees. That's pretty warm. Invercargill's even warmer, 11 degrees. 21 in Dunedin, 21.7 to be precise. Chatham Islands, 12 degrees. Queenstown has 11, along with France Joseph on the west coast of the South Island. A wee bit further north, 13 degrees in Westport. Nelson's on 14. Christchurch is pretty balmy, 17 degrees. Uh, And Blenheim, uh, right up the top there, is 15 degrees. Now we go across the Cook Strait to Wellington, and uh, where our capital city is there, where they'll all be getting to work and uh, the fascists will be taking over from the communist and we've got 14 degrees there Masterton, that's two days in a row that John Ansell's proved me wrong because I've always believed that Masterton is cooler and that's what it's been, hasn't it? For those of you that listen to me, Masterton's cooler but here we are, it's beating Wellington by two points 16 degrees Palmerston North's on 14 and a place, it had a Maori name on it but I fixed that, I got the mouse off it 18 degrees and that's in Napier I haven't got a reading for Hastings, but Palmerston North 14, that's right. Along with New Plymouth, New Plymouth's on 14, Rotorua as well. Taupo, a little colder there, 13 degrees this morning. And Gisborne's on 15, along with Tauranga and Hamilton. Auckland, you've got 13 degrees at the moment, 14 in Whangarei. And Kaitaia, 16 degrees. Now let's look at that short forecast again. Well, we talked about a severe weather system, and it brings heavy rain gale force winds and snow to low levels in the south. For Northland though and Auckland, Coromandel Peninsula and the Bay of Plenty, cloudy periods and isolated showers. Uh, For Waikato, Wellington also will include the central high country and the Wairapa. Cloudy periods with areas of rain or drizzle becoming widespread this evening. Severe gales northwesterlies.
Gale Force Northwesterlies about Wellington and Wairapa. That's pretty windy, all right. We had 94 at Castle Point. Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, fine weather for you, a lovely day today. Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, mostly cloudy with scattered rain. Spreading north and severe northwesterly gales in exposed places, so it's going to be windy and fine. For Buller in the South Island. Also for Westland and Fiordland, periods of rain with heavy and possibly thundery falls. Snow lowering down to 200 metres, so it's going to go cold. It's warm right now, but it's going to get chilly, obviously. Has to be. How do we get snow when it's got when they've got <laughs> temperatures like that? You know, I mean, the lowest temperature is about 10 degrees. And we, what do we have? 20.1 or 20.7 in Dunedin. Unbelievable. Uh, so Fiordland this evening, that's going to be 20 years. So tonight you, you can expect a, uh, snow to 200 metres. It's pretty low, even in the middle of winter. For Otago and Southland, a period of early morning rain, followed by heavy showers and snow down to 200 metres again tonight. Northwesterly gales in exposed places uh, this morning. And for the Chatham Islands, partly cloudy. Looking ahead to the extended forecast for Friday in the North Island, rain spreading north in the morning and then clearing a, f- a few showers and that's going to be lingering in the south and east. In the South Island tomorrow, showers in the west and south with snow to low levels uh, in the south with uh, uh, that's going to be easing though later. Fine spells and isolated showers elsewhere for Saturday. For Saturday, is it the, is the rugby on Saturday or Sunday? I don't know. Rugby, that's All Blacks, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, Saturday, North Island, mostly fine with isolated showers in the east. And for the South Island, mainly fine, but isolated showers in the south. On Sunday, in the North Island, mainly fine. Fine weather for you, but rain developing in the far north. Oh, and the South Island, mainly fine, with a few showers developing in Fiordland and Stewart Island, which is probably not going to bother most of us, is it? The Chathams, your extended uh, forecast, the Chatham Islands, a period of rain, following by uh, you're going to have showers on Friday, and then you've got showers on Saturday, but it's going to be easing and clearing during Sunday. Strong northwesterly gales changing to strong southwesterly later on Friday and then dying out on Sunday. So that doesn't look too bad, does it? Okay, I'll be back in a moment when we'll look at the newspapers. I call them newspapers. I know they're not really newspapers. They're just um, a fake stream media, aren't they? So we'll have a look at that in just a moment. If I can find the turntable... Uh, there you are. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Congressman, not the NBC, the media, not no, I, most I, American I media. I we're talking. Say, I did not say NBC, about, but but CNN did. And I will tell media you, media in it, the Arab world. And I will CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to. When you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Uh, facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. That's exactly right. It is 10 minutes past five and we're over on Radio New Zealand looking at the front page of the Frank Stream media. They're put out by the government a propaganda piece and it says here Peter's tweet about what Ardern knew before March 15th. The tax clearly inaccurate in peace office. That's what they're saying. Uh, but I don't know so much. Yeah, we'll, we'll go to Counterspin Media and we'll find out what they say about this whole uh, affair as well. But the New Zealand First Leader has accused Dame Jacinda Ardern, isn't it terrible? They, they give them a damehood and a knighthood. 
you know, what's his name? Ashley, Ashley Bloomfield, is that? Yeah, I think that's him, isn't he? Uh, they give them knighthoods and, and damehoods when they uh, kill and maim New Zealanders with their a, a terrible uh, vaccine. Well, you couldn't even call it a vaccine. They're toxin. It's an experimental biological agent and it was pushed on us. People dying all over the world. Uh, all over the world, millions of people are dying. People are in denial, too, that they're, they're dying. They're dropping dead like flies everywhere. You know, young people having heart attacks. It's just nonsense. It's all been covered up. We covered up, folks, but it'll it'll come out in the wash. It will come out. The truth always comes out in the end. So that's that there for the front page, and also child's uh, child death and injuries in Gaza. Shocking high. Save the children. Shocking high. They say reports from Gaza say that uh, more than two thousand three hundred children have been killed during the Israeli airstrikes. A figure that the international charity says is or one international charity is shockingly high. Can you believe that? I don't know. We'll look at that as well. Uh, if you listened to uh, the live stream we put out, we did a simulcast of Israel National... No, we used to be called Israel National Radio, but now it's called Israel Na- uh, News Talk and, and the Tamar Yuna Show. So the last one, we if you go to Rumble, uh, NZ, yeah, Liberty NZ, that's our last one. Have a look at that, and it'll give you an idea of Pallywood and how they are basically just... Uh, there's lots of acting going on. There's lots of untruths. The only real journalist... Well, there's no real journalist there. That's all Palestinian, uh, so-called Palestinian, especially just Arab Muslim terrorist reporting. And they're feeding that information to us. And then the, the fake stream media here on the West that hate Israel, they hate God, first of all. Most of them atheists. They hate God. And uh, so they're just telling you lies about Israel. And uh, so Israel, there's no way. Israel do not bomb hospitals. And they're very strategic. People are going to get killed. They've dropped leaflets all over the area to say you need to escape need to get out, get away. They're giving them plenty of time. I'll tell you what, King David would have been in there by now. The only reason, apparently, that Israel haven't gone in with ground uh, troops yet is, first of all, they've still got to finish identifying the 1,400 men, women, and children that were slaughtered and tortured. Tortured before... Most of them were were slaughtered and uh, were tortured before they were were killed. And this is... the, The media's silent about this. So the only way you're going to get the truth there is to go to Israel News Talk. Um, and so you look that up and go and listen to them. We'll be, from time to time, we'll be playing them on Rumble at Liberty NZ. It's 12 past five, and now we're looking to, uh, yes, we're, and I will be going to Counterspin Media and getting their take on the Winston Peters thing as well. Okay, Cyclone Lola. It lashes Vanuatu's northern provinces. It's now heading south. Uh, not according to me. Uh, not according to Windy, it's uh, head, it was heading towards. To, for, as far as we're concerned, as far as I'm concerned, when I look at uh, look at what's happening, and I'll just quickly do that. Oh, I'll do that in a minute. We'll look at the whole thing uh, a little bit later on. Uh, so it's, it came down. It was heading towards Port uh, Vila, as far as I know, and now it's starting to head up. It's going northwest. Northwest. I was a bit wrong with my westerns east and, and yesterday, but I don't know why. Looking at things upside down sort of confused me a bit. But anyway, the reports, according to the, the fake stream media, reports are emerging of widespread damage in Vatu's, uh, Vanuatu's northern provinces where Cyclone Lola first made landfall. That was on Tuesday. So that's old news, isn't it? What are we up to now? Thursday. So that's two days ago. Okay, now this is uh, terrible. It's just shocking. I cannot believe this. Cover up tattoos with the national... This is going to be, they're saying that you've got to put foundation on. So if you've got facial tattoos, what about the women? 
with their little tad. How's he going to pull this off? Anyway, so um, we'll look at that story a little bit further down as well. It's basically the National Party are saying that they are going to ban gang facial tattoos if its planned ban on gang patches does not work. This is Mark Mitchell. This is what he's going to be probably the new police minister. So uh, goodbye, uh, communist uh, globalist uh, Jacinda Ardern and co. And hello, um, Christopher Luxon's uh, fascist party. They're still globalists, but now we've got the fascist. I mean, you, you can't do that. And I want to know who the gang members are. I don't want them wearing foundation. It's pretty obvious when you see a man wearing foundation. <laughs> These people, I mean, I think we've got, we might be more of the same. I think it could be worse. I actually do. I, re- I think as far as freedom and uh, freedom of um, the individual, our individual rights, I think it's going to be worse than it was uh, under Ardern. Okay, and we've got some other stories, uh, just a few other ones here. Beneath the East, oh yeah, there's other stories there. What are we going? That's the front page. So there's really only four of them there on Radio New Zealand. And uh, I'll be back in a moment and we'll have a look at uh, the other ones. What News Hub and also stuff. And then we'll go and have a look at what's going on in Israel. And uh, also this hour, yeah, we'll have um, Dr. Samantha Bailey talking about antibiotics. Don't miss that. Smart people, they're, they know what they're doing. We have, they're at the top of their game. We have somebody that's not at the top of his game, never was at the top of a game. Never was. We have a guy who's a dumb son of a bitch. And to allow this to happen... Okay, on News Hub, very short little headings here. Members of an illegal uh, Auckland dirt bike crew reveal gang links. And uh, also they're talking about gangs here. Uh, Cover up your tattoos with foundation, according to National. That's what they're saying about gangs. Crazy. England's Curry, he receives online abuser, and uh, uh, online abuse rather, after a complaint about South Africa's Nomabi. Okay, oh, I remember now. What happened with him now? Oh, he was, he was that's right, called some guy a, uh, a white C-U-N-T, I think it was, in the Bay of Plenty. Uh, window of slain. Oh, gosh, sorry, folks. A, w- a widow. <laughs> widow of slain mongrel mob boss. She seeks a solution to the end gang violence in Apodiki. And uh, then we've got the Christchurch shooting. A full transcript of the first 111 call about Christchurch mosque attacks has been released. Uh, and what have we got further down in Russia? The Kremlin, they uh, respond to claims Putin may be seriously ill with uh, a body double taking his place. Well, I don't think so. Uh, I doubt that very much. Could be just, I mean, you've got to remember the West hates, they want to have a war with Russia. That's what the uh, Krem- the uh, Ukraine war is all about. It's about, they're just pro- it's a proxy war and they're just cannon fodder. Um, half a billion soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, have already died on the battlefield. Don't believe me? Go and talk to a former White House. Go and listen to him. Former White House official under the Trump administration, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Go and have a listen to him. Go to YouTube and look it up. I think it's called Straight Talk or, or Straight Calls or something like that. Colonel Douglas McGregor. That's M-A-C, Mac, MacGregor. Look him up. He's good. In Waikato. I couldn't be prouder. Another North Island council to get Maori wards. Oh, gosh. Okay, and then loans. What have we got here? Parents warned about helping kids to buy a first home after mum loses $50,000. Ah, well, you've got to do what you can for your children. It's better than letting the banks do it if you've got the money there, but you've got to make sure you do it all properly. You've got to get the paperwork sorted out. If I get time, we'll have a look at that one. And weather. What have we got here on News Hub we're at? Uh, picking up the pieces Vanuatu communities devastated by Cyclone Vola. 
Alola, I just oh, I, look. I can't see it. Look, if you're over, if you go to, if for those of that are listening to me on Rumble, I'm just going to give you an idea. We're just going to zoom in and have a look at this because, look, folks, I just cannot understand it. I've been tracking this cyclone. So here we are. We've got New Zealand down the bottom, and I'm on windy.com, which is very good. And a lot of sailors, international sailors, use it to get information on weather. Um, and as you can see, it's pretty, pretty blimmin' windy down here at the moment. Um, what have we got there? What's the wind here at the bottom of the South Island? It's 36 knots right now. But they've obviously got some gusts at Castle Point, so obviously fair old cranking. We've got 65 knots up there. That's 85 kilometres per hour. I mean, that's fair windy. There's more wind down here in New Zealand at the moment than there is up in Vanuatu. And I'll show you why. If you're on Rumble, we're just going to move up to, we've got New Mia, where we are, there's Port Vila there. So here's the cyclone, there's nothing to it, it's a n nobody home. The cyclone, of course, they go on about the centre of the cyclone being, you know, the strongest winds of the eye of the storm, but it's not the eye of the storm, it's three knots. If I zoom in on that, it'll be zero knots, so I'll just show you there, it's uh, one knot. There we go, so the windiest place right at the moment, because to me it came, this, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, this, uh, Lola, came down past Luganville and it turned, uh, now it's turned up, it's come down towards Port Vila and it's turned up now going northwest, it's going away and it's weakened because the strongest winds are down here to the southeast, 28 knots, there's nothing, nothing home, I'll just move this thing around, you can see 28, 27, 30 knots, 30 knots there, but it's, there's nobody home, this is not a hurricane, I don't know what they're talking about. That's the, now we're in the trades, looking at the trades coming across from Fiji there, trade winds. So there's a cyclone there, according to this. But how do we know even this is true? I don't know. I mean, I guess it'll all come out whether it's true or not. And either that or Windy's up the Kyber and there's something wrong with Windy. But I haven't known it to be wrong. So, you know, they've, it's just like crazy, crazy talk. So uh, what's going on, folks? This, something doesn't add up to me. Uh, but I suppose we'll... We'll find out in due course. Let's hope we find out in due course. Okay, well, let's move back to the news. And um, uh, I'm on News Hub. And so, yes, so those are the main stories there. So that's the members of an illegal Auckland dirt bike crew. They've got gang links. Uh, we've got um, Mark Mitchell, who's looking like being the uh, police minister for the National Party, for the government, the incoming government. He wants uh, uh, gang members that have got facial tattoos to put women's foundation on that when women put on and then they put a foundation on then they put their makeup on over the top is that right the foundation so they want to come so they're going to all look very pale so you see these Marys with <laughs> walking around the gang members walking around they'll still have they're going to ban red as well the colour red hmm? the mongrel mob wear they're going to ban red caps where does it end and what's so wrong with a facial tattoo if someone wants to desecrate their skin with a facial tattoo let them. Where is the freedom? We're not going to have freedom in this country under the National Party. And Mark Mitchell uh, has just proven that. And I've, I've been saying we're going to. Go, it's all globalism. It's just taking away our individual rights. And they're starting with the gangs, and then they're making new laws. And those new laws, new laws are going to affect everybody in the country. They're going to use them against good people, people that the government just decide they don't like. Why? Because oh, it could be someone like me just spreading misinformation. So they'll use it to come in and, you know, raid the studio or something and take some computers like they did with Counterspin Media. What, they're on a fishing expedition. What were they looking for when they went in there? Counterspin Media have had many uh, stories, investigations open 
and I think that they took all those computers to see what they, what information Counterspin Media had. I don't know if they've even got any of it back. That's theft. And there was no reason for it. I don't think there's been any charges, has there? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to find out. Okay, so that is that. What have we got? Kremlin. They think he's... Um, his people are saying that Putin's very ill and he's got body doubles. Uh, I, a lot of people that I uh, have spoken to think that's a hogwash. So it's just unbelievable, isn't it? The absolute rubbish that we're being fed through our media. You can't believe a word of it. You actually can't. And really, the, uh, the only place to go is Counterspin Media. Uh, I think they're the only ones. They're the spearheaders of it all. Let's just um, stop there for a moment and we'll go to the story uh, about Winston Peters. Now, this was Winston's tweet. And it says here that we, this is Winston Peters. He said, we waited until today, this was yesterday, to find out for the first time that the Prime Minister's office received information about the March 15th terrorist attack before the massacre took place. Jacinda Ardern should have been, she should be called to the hearing and asked to explain this appalling lack of transparency to New Zealand, the New Zealand public, let alone to the Deputy Prime Minister, which was him at the time, and the, uh, oh, was it? Yes, it was, yes, and the government coalition partner. Uh, this, this is what Winston's saying. This was a crisis event. To keep this basic information hidden is not only unacceptable, it is clearly indicative of how that office worked. The next question is, who else inside the Cabinet knew and said nothing? Now, what does Counterspin Media say about that? Well, they say by now many will be aware that Winston Peters has released somewhat of a please explain over foreknowledge of the March 15th, 2019 attack in Christchurch. There is, of course, an inquiry into the same incident with the usual narrow terms of reference that will be uh, you know, that will yield little beyond the lessons learned from the fateful day. That's all it's going to reveal. They don't. They think it's just a, a, a sham. Countersman Media has, from the very beginning, stated that the official narrative of the Christchurch massacre is, quite frankly, BS. We maintain that position. The manifesto is not written by anyone right-wing. In fact, it can only be described as a left-wing, eco-fascist document. The video, uh, said to have been live-streamed, is also full of anomalies that makes it difficult. This is the, the video that uh, Tarrant had, as far as I know. Uh, so they say that it was full of anom anomalies. I, yeah, I agree with that. That make it difficult for anyone with a brain to take seriously. Counterspin Media, they go on to say, just one example uh, is the barrage of rounds fired at close proximity to the man greeting the shooter, Brendan Tarrant apparently, at the mosque entrance. Hello, brother, he said to Tarrant. If it is Tarrant, we don't know for sure, really, do we? Approximately six to seven rounds from a shotgun and not so much as a peppered skirt. Well, actually, it's a shirt, but they wear skirts, don't they? The Muslims there at the mosque on the Friday. Um, yeah, they do. Uh, nor there was no missing chunks of flesh or anything. So you can see there's a Tui ad going on right there. You know, pull the other one. It plays jingle bells. Uh, I've fired shotguns. Uh, and I'll tell you what, at that range, uh, that would make a serious, a serious mess. You know, it would, it would blow a blimmin' big hole in you. Uh, and there was none of that, was there, for those people that saw it? Uh, anyway, uh, that's the, the video that was, saw it was widely, it was all over the internet, 
and then the, the government made it illegal to to download it and to share it. I think it was huge. It was something like ten years in prison. What's that all about? Why can't the public? Why can't the public see what's going on? Uh, just something very very fishy there right from the very start. People all over the world are saying, "What was that all about?" That you're not even allowed to watch it. Now think about it. They knew while conveniently. There was an exercise happening in Christchurch that very same week. They knew this was going to occur. They knew that the jabs were not safe and effective too. But they continued to allow harm and death to befall a gullible population based on a scam. The climate change hoax is another absolute lie. But again, they weaponized the media as they did for the terror attacks, the COVID scam, and now the climate nonsense. Christchurch was to remove your weapons. Why? Because they knew that they were going to do much worse things than this and that some people would want to resist that and they might shoot back. There are many examples of absolute criminal activities by our government and are backed up by the media and the New Zealand police. Counterspin media, they're the, I tell you what folks, they're the only platform that takes them head on and they refuse to back down. So you just have to be careful, be vigilant, and be prepared because the world government, the, the globalists, are not finished with us yet. I'll be back with more news in just one moment. Leaderships of the Palestinian people, my people, by the way, and I have the authority to say this, if they disown me, if they label me as a traitor, they can say whatever they want to say. I sacrificed a lot for the sake of Palestine, of Islam, even of Hamas. I spent 27 months in Israeli prisons. I grew up witnessing the first Palestinian Intifada, and I had no idea what was going on. As a child, I was fed with hatred that Israel was our enemy, and Israel was the source of our suffering. While the Palestinian leaderships, from Yasser Arafat to Mahmoud Abbas to Abu Jihad, all of them were sitting in Tunisia, spending billions of dollars. In the meantime, they were sending children to die, throwing stones, facing Israeli soldiers. I was one of them. They used us. They sent us to the slaughterhouse. They wanted us to die. The shepherd thought, how many sheep I'm going to sacrifice today to get the attention of the world so maybe we get some more funds. So they decided to slaughter a hundred sheep, two hundred sheep. Then Hamas came later on, twenty years later. And they did the same thing, using children and women as a human shield in Gaza Strip. Then we have now a new mask for the shepherd and written on it BDS to manipulate the international community, create, create chaos. They're very good at doing that. Whether you call it intifada, you create chaos, in a state of chaos, you distract everybody, and the thief knows how to find a way. 
Same thing now on a global scale. They are manipulating the friends of Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, the only true democracy. While the shepherd, by the way, is not legitimate anyway. You know, somebody, they sit here in this house of shame. I agree with you, uh, Mr. Daniel. I agree. They don't represent the Palestinian people anyway. Who are you representing? The Palestinians in the West Bank or the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip? You are representing greed. Wearing the mask with what so-called Palestinian cause. You're a liar. You're a Lucifer. And at some point, you will be unmasked. If they were sincere and truthful in their approach towards peace, they would go and educate the Palestinian people, first of all, of the actual history. Not their history. To compare Israel to apartheid of the uh, South uh, Africa. This is no comparison. The state of Israel, I know terrorists when I spent time in prison who had blood on their hands of Jewish people and they had the right to go to schools and study and achieve higher degrees from Israeli schools. In Jerusalem, the Israeli government give the Muslims the right to worship on Temple Mount and in the meantime does not give the right to the Jewish people to practice their religious freedom on Temple Mount. Me uh, saying it uh, uh, somewhere else. The sheep thinks that the shepherd their best friend. The shepherd provides water, food, and creates the illusion for the sheep that it's protector. Sometimes wearing a mask, a political mask, in the West Bank, or Tunisia, or other locations, sometimes wearing an, an ideological and religious mask in Gaza, or maybe other capitals of the Arab world, they have their own way to deceive the sheep and make the sheep dependent on them. But unfortunately, by the time the sheep realized that the shepherd was not their best friend or the protector of their interest, they are already in the slaughterhouse. This is the reality of what's happening in the Middle East. That is right, and he is a Palestinian, a former so-called Palestinian. He's a Muslim, and uh, he was involved in terrorism. He spent 27 months, I think he said, 27 months in an Israeli prison. Uh, he said, what did he, we hear him say? That Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. And uh, so he's, he's pro-Israel, and yet he's come out of it. He was a Muslim terrorist, Islamic terrorist.
is 28 minutes to 6, and uh, we're going to have a look at stuff now. Uh, a couple of stories there. Two people are accused of um, money laundering for a horobanua that's down near Levin. A methamphetamine ring will seek to have their charges dismissed. The man and a woman, who both have name suppression, appeared before an administrative hearing in the Palmerston North District Court on Wednesday, and much of what was said cannot be reported. <laughs> Why not? But lawyers for both of the accused told Judge Lance Rowe they would be advancing applications to have the charges dismissed. Uh, Rowe said that the next appearance would need to go before the same judge who presided on a previous hearing so that he could consider the application. And there they are. The two were arrested on September 2019 as part of Operation Abbey. It's a police investigation into methamphetamine dealing in the area and were alleged to have used businesses to launder methamphetamine profits for Shannon, a Shannon man. His name was Gary Colin O'Connell. Uh, Colin O'Connell, that's a tricky one. The operation led to police seizing, seizing assets worth more than $3 million, which would be given back to the gangs. <laughs> <laughs> money laundering, police money laundering. They give it back. They'll, they'll, they'll give it to them because um, they'll say that they've, we've given all these millions to. Um, I think they. I think, I think it was about three million dollars they gave to the mongrel mob to help them get off um, the methamphetamine. So it's just this, this uh, circular thing happening there. Uh, it includes dozens of high performance cars, five properties, and about one hundred and. $10,000 in cash. Several people were also arrested and they've already been sentenced for their part in the offending. O'Connell, he made $4 million in five years and he'd launched, that's what they say, that through through his various avenues. He was jailed for nine years in November 2020. So he'll, he'll be up in, um, I'd say he'll be up by um, next year because that's what they do. Uh, the 26-page court summary of the offending given to Stuff said, O'Connell, he ran the business from January 2014 until September 2019. Now he's in jail. He probably thinks it's worth it, eh? Except they've seized all his assets. That's the only trouble. You'd be better off buying gold bars or something and hiding them so they couldn't get them. <laughs> Police estimated uh, he supplied 12.83 kilograms of the Class A drug. They busted him in Sanson. That's down, not far, it's down in the area. They're just north of Levin. So not far from Shannon, on the way to a drug deal, and found plastic Ziploc bags containing methamphetamine, cocaine, MDMA, which I'm not into drugs, so I've got no idea what that is, but it's some, some jolly thing, some nasty thing that they make money out of, and that was hidden between his buttocks. Oh yuck, nasty, between his buttocks. Um, I had a mate, I still got a mate, and he was involved in uh, um, shifting. He would go, he would go up to the coast. And he would, he would hire a rental car, and he'd fill it, fill it full of um, marijuana, you know, cannabis that they he bought up from the up from the on the east coast there, and then with the rental car, and he'd speed like crazy, but it was and get it back to you know his hometown, where it, he would sell it. It's a wonder he's a Christian now, so he wouldn't do any of that sort of stuff. Uh, but he said, "I'm lucky that I wasn't put in jail or killed." This was years ago, of course, probably 30 years ago. But anyway, so uh, he and I, he said never put it. He said once we tried to put it in the in the tires itself, but he said that was the worst thing you can do. It was just an absolute, just mashed, ruined it, all the dope. But they used to just put it in the panels 
and he did it all the time and he and the car he'd go like crazy so they didn't have to pay an extra day's rental <laughs> and it would be in the in the side panels of the doors uh all the drugs i don't know you think with the dogs you know they'd catch you wouldn't you oh, he's so lucky anyway uh so that's what they did um yeah with the drugs but this stuff's nasty stuff i mean a bit of pot I mean, it's uh, long-term marijuana use is bad news. People don't realise it, that it is very bad news. People also don't realise that you can, you can actually eat uh, cannabis uh, as long as it's not heated or cooked or smoked. So as long as it doesn't have any heat applied to it and the THCs won't come out of it, it's the THCs that give you the effect, uh, that hypnotic effect or whatever is hypnotic. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, it's just like getting drunk, really. A couple of snorts on that. And uh, and you're drunk. And the Bible says drunkenness is a sin. You're allowed to have a, a glass of beer or some wine. But in, you know, even, I think, a little Mary. Um, what does it say now? A little wine is good for the stomach. So, And, they, and then some, some Christians try and make out that it means all grape juice. But I think God knows the difference between grape juice and wine. And uh, so it would, na- it would naturally ferment anyway as soon as it's um, squished up. That's what happens with microbes that, that are inside the, the grapes. They start fermenting. And that's a, a form of purification. For the uh, for the grapes for the wine that turns itself into wine, even without any there's, there's yeast, it just happens. That's just what happens to things when you squish squash them. Now, okay, so that's that little story there, and uh, so now I'll have a look. Where else are we there? Uh, yes, now the former couple give evidence today. Uh, they, that was yesterday in relation to uh, Connor Boyd's death, and that was that young boy. I think it was in a car park in the CBD. So I'll have a quick look at that story. Because that's a bit sad. Now this is um, Connor Boyd. He was 18 years old when he was uh, he, he was killed. He died, and uh, one of the witnesses she said, "I am freaking out because the male defendant is holding on to Connor, and that is clearly not going to end well." That's what she said in the court. That's what a young woman charged with 18-year-old Connor Boyd's manslaughter, alongside her her then partner. That's what they told the jury. Uh, Boyd's final movements were caught on CCTV as he was run over in an Auckland CBD. Uh, I think it was I think it was in a car park in the early hours of April 24th, 2022, last year. The Crown have suggested that footage that paints a very different picture as to what the two defendants have been telling the court. So the two 20-year-olds have interim name suppression. They're on trial, charged with Boyd's manslaughter and have pleaded not guilty. The woman is also facing assault charges against uh, a woman called Ella Olsen from an accident earlier in the night. So just after 2.30 in the morning, what are you doing 18-year-olds out at that of the morning? She'll be at home with a glass of milk and in bed, sleeping. All the trouble happens when you let them go out late, after midnight. No place for young people to be. Get home. Boyd had he'd gone up to a Toyota Hilux uh, filled with a group of young people and then the driver grabbed him out of the window so grabbed hold of him another arm is seen outside the window but the female defendant repeatedly denied that she was holding on to him she said I was freaking out but I never grabbed on to Connor my arm may have been out the window but I know I didn't hold on to him she said she's probably pissed as a newt probably, I probably wouldn't remember probably had marijuana or whatever else they do I don't know, I'm just guessing that's what she told the prosecutor under cross-examination. Okay, but the prosecutor, Claire Patterson, she previously told the jury at the High Court at Auckland 
um, that was against the background of pointless teen drama and immature teen relationships. The decisions the defendants made had the effect of ending Boyd's life on that night. Lawyers for the or the lawyers, there's more than one for the young man uh, and woman, they both acknowledged that they were in the vehicle when Boyd was run over, but deny causing his death and say it was a tragic accident. On Wednesday afternoon, the female defendant gave evidence that it was, and when she was cross-examined, the young woman said that, uh, that they'd been friends with Boyd since year nine. So that's a fair way back, isn't it? She has admitted pushing, kicking and pushing Boyd earlier in the night, but said that it was because that he was threatening to shoot up her, her flat. What does that mean, shoot up her flat? What, has he got a gun or something? Patterson suggested that it was nothing more than pathetic, pathetic grandstanding, and Boyd never raised a hand towards the woman. This is according to looking at the CCTV footage. The group later made up, and everything seemed to be all good. And then it wasn't long after that. What happened then? The female defendant, was a, she, um, she had assaulted Olsen earlier in the night, and Boyd then spoke uh, with the car load. Both defendants told the court Boyd was making threatening comments, the female defendant said that she pushed Boyd and then slapped him before the male defendant grabbed him and then started driving. Earlier on Wednesday, the male defendant admitted grabbing onto Boyd with the intention of driving and holding onto him. He previously told the court that he was scared for his safety. Why would you be holding onto him? And the safety of his passengers as Boyd punched him through the car window. But that's not what the CCTV footage, the CCTV, uh, footage showed. The prosecutor suggested Boyd told the defendant to control his missus, which triggered the event. He disagrees. Patterson asked if there was a case. If that was the case, why didn't the defendant just put up the window and drive off? The defendant agreed and said, looking back, that would have been the right thing to do. As the defendant drives from Gore Street onto Custom Street, it was only four seconds before Boyd falls off the runner board on the Hilux. The CCTV footage, it showed Patterson said that Boyd's arm appeared to be holding, this is the boy that was killed, appeared to be holding onto the window at full length while also trying to balance on the side of the car, meaning it would have been impossible for Boyd to punch the defendant. So there you are. So after Boyd fell and his head was run over, the defendant made no attempt to stop saying he was, that he panicked, he was panicked and shocked. And uh, so he, what did he say? He said, I thought that it had, I, it had gone over his leg. I didn't realise it was this serious. So that's happening right now. You've got Paul Boric, he's the KC, which used to be QC. So under, under re-examination, Paul Boric, the defendant, uh, said that he didn't stop as he was scared something might happen to him on the, uh, the people in the car. And it, I think that's nonsense. So I think they're going to be they're going to go down for manslaughter, because the CCTV footage showed that it was completely opposite to what they were telling people. Okay, so that stuff. Sorry, that was a bit long and drawn out. Uh, let's ha- go to Samantha uh, Bailey now and listen to what she says about antibiotics. And uh, is it an absolute load of nonsense? Well, I think you might find that she's up next right after Jordan Peterson. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. 
Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, but you get my point. Speech. Like, you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But you're exercising your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think you, more power to you, as far as I'm concerned. You haven't sat there and... I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through in my head. Yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a while. It did. It did. Yeah. It took a while. You have voluntary. You have voluntarily. When former doctors speak out and start criticising allopathic medicine, all hell breaks loose. The medical quote authorities have come after both myself and my husband Mark in recent years after we went public with the COVID-19 fraud. They can't refute works like Virus Mania or a farewell to virology. So instead, they try gag orders and farcical prosecution attempts. We have spent years contributing to the work demonstrating that the virus model is broken and on a wider front, the germ theory model as well. So what about antibiotics? We've all heard the challenges from the germ proponents who claim that we wouldn't dare refuse antibiotics for ourselves or our children in the case of a life-threatening illness that they call an infection. But are antibiotics really life-saving compounds or more mythology from the pharma cartel? This is a huge topic, but let me show you a few of the greatest scientific deceptions surrounding one of the medical establishment's crown jewels. Let me only say that the best of all proof of the fallacy of their assertions is the fact that every attempt to elevate the germ facts of putrefaction into a germ theory of disease has miserably failed. In the year 2000, while working as a first-year house surgeon, my husband Mark was on a ward round, being led by a medical consultant. An elderly patient was diagnosed with pneumonia and the consultant advised Mark to prescribe intravenous antibiotics as per the hospital's drug protocol book. Mark picked up the medication chart but instinctively hesitated and said to the senior doctor, why do we always give these? The consultant was incredulous that such a question would come up but Mark pressed him and asked how he knew they worked. No definitive evidence was offered, and instead the consultant emphatically stated that it was established through decades of collective wisdom and clinical experience. Not only that, but the patient's sputum could be sent to the lab to see which bacteria were present and which antibiotics killed them. Mark could see something was amiss, and another seed was planted that led to the eventual departure of both of us from the allopathic medical system. The word antibiotic derives from the Greek anti and bios, which translates to against life. That may give you some clues about the origins of this class of pharmaceutical, which is embedded in germ theory and the war against microbes. Medical students are often taught the famous story of Scottish physician Alexander Fleming, who was investigating the growth of Staphylococcus aureus bacteria on culture plates in London in 1928. One of the culture plates was left exposed while he was on holiday, and when he returned, he realised it was contaminated with a blue-green mould. 
He then noticed that the bacteria did not grow around the mould and surmised that a substance that killed bacteria was being secreted by the mould. Fleming called it penicillin and published his findings the following year in 1929, but his paper initially created little interest in the medical community. Dr Howard Florey at the University of Oxford became aware of penicillin in 1939 and approached the British Medical Research Council for funding to investigate its antibacterial properties. His team received only a modest grant, but then an agent from the Rockefeller Foundation stepped in and suggested that Florey, quote, apply for foundation funding. The application mentioned that it may also be pointed out that the work proposed, in addition to its theoretical importance, may have practical value for therapeutic purposes. And hey presto, it was approved by the Rockefeller Foundation. In a 1989 New York Times article titled Big Money Meets Big Science, it was written that Rockefeller money helped support some of the most profoundly important advances in modern science and medicine, including the work of Niels Bohr, Enrico Fermi, Werner Heisenberg and Hans Krebs. The development of such vital research tools as the ultracentrifuge, the electron microscope and the 200-inch Hale telescope and the discovery of penicillin well, apart from Krebs, the rest were theoretical physicists who made models like the virologists do. And as for the research tools mentioned, they haven't delivered on much that improves the lot of humanity or our well-being. So the inclusion of penicillin in there should raise suspicions. The article goes on to state that, as one of the greatest contributions to the war effort, the Rockefeller Foundation supported the Oxford University researchers Howard W. Florey and Ernst Boris Chain while they struggled to transform penicillin from a petri dish curiosity to the miracle drug that saved the lives of millions, including the Allied soldiers who might otherwise have died of the virulent battlefield infection, gas gangrene. Obviously, it is not possible in this video to go through every disease that is claimed to be treated by antibiotics. However, we can go straight to the top shelf and pick one of the alleged greatest victories brought about by their use. So let's take this classic tale that has been promulgated since World War II, the alleged life-saving penicillin that saved scores of soldiers. There must be plenty of evidence for that, right? Before we get to the state of the science, I should point out that gas gangrene is a life-threatening condition, but it is not an infection by invading bacteria as the mainstream claims. If you try to find any evidence that the bacterium Clostridium perfringens can invade healthy tissue and make someone sick, you won't find it. It is a type of bacteria that is found everywhere, often in decaying vegetation, the soil, and even in our gut. In other words, a crucial part of our ecosystem, rather than a pathogen. Conditions like gas gangrene are the result of devitalized muscle tissue brought about by a blocked blood supply, trauma such as gunshots or even snake bites. The microbes will certainly start proliferating, but not until the tissue is already dying, i.e. the underlying terrain has changed. It is like a piece of meat from an animal. Once the blood supply is cut off and the tissue is deoxygenated, the microbes that are everywhere will get to work breaking it down. It doesn't matter if the tissue is still attached to living tissue. The breakdown will proceed regardless. 
So let's get to the evidence for antibiotics in the case of gas gangrene. In 2015, the Cochrane Group performed a review titled Interventions for Treating Gas Gangrene. They looked for randomized controlled trials that compared one treatment of gas gangrene with another treatment or with no treatment and identified two relevant RCTs with a total of 90 participants with gas gangrene. And the conclusion? Neither trial reported on this review's primary outcomes of quality of life and amputation and death due to gas gangrene or in adverse events. Trials that addressed other therapies such as immediate debridement, antibiotic treatment, systemic support and other possible treatments were not available. The benefits and harms of different treatments for gas gangrene remain unclear as the available trials do not provide high quality evidence due to low sample numbers and a number of problems with the way the trials were conducted that can introduce bias to the results. Pretty underwhelming stuff. In fact, it means that the widespread claim that penicillin saved all those wounded soldiers has no scientific basis. If there was improvement in their outcomes, it was most likely due to surgical removal of dead tissue, awareness of hygiene, and improved practices in managing shock, such as rehydration. You can watch my video, Five Spectacular Fails from Germ Theory, for more information on this. Regardless, in terms of the millions of lives penicillin alone is supposed to have saved, the scientific evidence is lacking. It is a case of medical mythology and pharma marketing spin. But the use of antibiotics is not set to slow down. To add to the lolly scramble, the CDC has recently suggested the use of the antibiotic doxycycline for some people when they have sex to purportedly prevent them getting infections. You can watch my videos such as what we weren't taught about gonorrhea to see why entities such as this are not infections. In any case, apparently the CDC propose getting even more antibiotics into the population, even though they have, quote, wrestled with the concern that doxypep could raise the risk of bacteria developing resistance to the antibiotic. Ah, antimicrobial resistance. Another fear-based narrative being propagated on faulty premises. The story has been pushed by mainstream outlets such as The Guardian, who reported last year that... Antimicrobial resistance poses a significant threat to humanity, health leaders have warned. More than 1.2 million and potentially millions more died in 2019 as a direct result of antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections, according to the most comprehensive estimate to date of the Global Impact of Antimicrobial Resistance, AMR. They were referring to a Lancet paper with the title Global Burden of Bacterial Antimicrobial Resistance in 2019, a systematic analysis. Sponsored by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust. And how did they come up with the figures? They used predictive statistical modelling to produce estimates of AMR burden for all locations, including for locations with no data. In other words, they made it up. Not only are they using modelling estimates, but the input data itself is phony, as none of the conditions they listed have been shown to be caused by bacteria. So bacteria being resistant to the drugs is not relevant to any individual's cause of death. The paper would be pleasing to Big Pharma though when it concluded that it is crucial to making informed and location-specific policy decisions, particularly about infection prevention and control programs, access to essential antibiotics, and research and development of new vaccines and antibiotics. 
The pharma-sponsored germ-focused results in tunnel vision, where doctors have been led to believe that killing bugs can benefit a patient. This becomes their goal rather than reversing the underlying problems that made the patient sick in the first place. Take the example I introduced at the start regarding the consultant that instructed Mark to prescribe IV antibiotics for pneumonia. In the allopathic model, the condition is said to be caused by bacteria, so a sputum sample is sent to the lab, and if certain microbes are cultured, they take the blame. The lab then tests various antibiotics against the microbes to establish the sensitivities, or which of them kills the bacteria most effectively. The treating doctors are then guided by these results and select one or several antibiotics to give to the patient. There are so many problems with this and for brevity we'll list some of the main ones. Number one, the underlying causes of the patient's pneumonia were not established, so were not treated. Number two, the presence of bacteria in a sputum sample is not diagnostic of a disease. The microbes are bystanders that proliferate under certain conditions and healthy people inhale them without ill effect. 3. Killing bacterial colonies on a plate with antibiotics is not treating a patient. Even if the antibiotic does kill bacteria inside the person, there is no evidence that this is curative. The last point also raises an interesting question about why antibiotics may work in suppressing symptoms in some conditions. Certain skin diseases and so-called urinary tract infections spring to mind. Many antibiotics do not simply kill bacteria on petri dishes. When they are given to complex organisms such as humans, they act as anti-inflammatory agents. Dermatologists have known about this mechanism for years and have prescribed them extensively for inflammatory skin conditions and what the mainstream call autoimmune disorders. It's an area that is not well publicised, as the germ theorists prefer the antibacterial narrative. The flaws in the claims about antibiotics, such as penicillin, were already anticipated in the pre-antibiotic era. In 1887, British surgeon Lawson Tate noted that, I have opened the abdomen in many cases packed full of tubercular matter and drained it like a common abscess and have cured the patients. The same thing has been done by Esmark, who has identified the bacillus in the orthodox German fashion. Does anyone believe that either of us removed every bacillus and every spore? I know I did not, for the tubercular masses in several of my cases kept coming out for weeks afterwards, yet the patients recovered. What I really did was to enable my patients to get rid of the dead or dying exudation on which the bacilli lived of the decomposition, of which they are probably the means and wholly the result. Apply this notion of the germ theory of disease to the facts of clinical medicine and surgery, and see how irreconcilable with the facts it is. The reason antibiotics are a scam is that they are based on the wider errors of germ theory. Microbes are not the cause of disease, although they will proliferate in certain conditions. Vitally, there is no war against them. They act precisely in accordance with nature, which is pro-life, even if it seems unfair at times. They are part of the process that allows regeneration of more life. In calling out the fatally flawed premises of germ theory, Lawson Tate remarked that, We do not in the least know what life is. We call it vital power and talk glibly about it, though our men of science seem to have neglected it. Pick out an amoeba and watch him. 
So long as his sloth-like movements go on, he is avoided by his neighbours. But his movements get feeble and very slow, and you will see a paramecium go at him. The movements cease altogether, and presently you will find him riddled with bacteria and bacilli, and soon all trace of him will be lost. Why did his enemies avoid him whilst he was alive? Why could they so easily attack him when dead? I cannot tell you, but it shows that there is an enormous difference between tissue living and tissue dead. Some of the mysteries under the microscope may never be known to us, but they do not need to be, to live in perfect health. When I reflect on my time in the medical system, I saw fingers being reattached by skillful surgeons and tension pneumothoraxes being instantly relieved by chest strains. I did not see anyone that had their limbs or lives saved by antibiotics, but certainly witnessed some nasty adverse effects, including disturbed microbiomes, following even a couple of doses. Only bringing the terrain back to a vitalized state can result in cure, no matter what the condition, and this can be achieved without the pharmaceuticals. Please visit supportdrsam.com. Wow, okay, well, you've, we've certainly got to get over to uh, Dr. Sam Bailey, don't you? You can find her at Dr. Sam, that's just D-R, Sam Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. And uh, that, if you want to know about that sort of stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's just a nonsense. We learned this, I learned this back in, when was it now? 90, 2000, 2000, I started training as a homeopath, and they... Uh, they they taught us in the homeopathic it was at the New Zealand School of Homeopathic Medicine. I'm not sure if it's still going, but anyway, uh, we learned that uh, Beauchamp Antoine Beauchamp's theory, uh, cellular theory, uh, or terrain theory, is another name for the same thing. Uh, that was um, uh, that Louis Pasteur. He's the man that invented the germ theory. He plagiarized Beauchamp's work, and so the pharmaceutical industry has got very rich on telling us that germs come from outside. So you heard it there from a doctor. Her and her husband, I think they've got about 30 years' experience between them as doctors. And they, they woke up just before he... I think he was kind of becoming awake. This was Mark, Dr. Mark Bailey, before COVID. But Sam really woke up uh, in 2020. And um, so she's a co-author of the book, Virus Mania. And you can get... You can look, you can just pay $10... Uh, and get a Kindle version of it, or I think you just go to Amazon or try and buy it somewhere else apart from Amazon. But get hold of it; it's ten bucks, and it's an online copy. You can read that. I think it's called Kindle or something like that. But I think you can get versions. You don't have to have the Kindle app or the Kindle whatever it is that they use. So that's what I would do, uh, because and I'd say you get to maybe I'd say chapter three. By the time you're at chapter three, you'd be thinking far out. This is a giant hoax. But we've got work to do, folks. We've got to convince people that viruses don't exist. They do not exist. And, uh, and there we are. You heard some of it for yourself there. There's, plenty, there's no evidence that they exist. It's just those microbes, isn't it? When the, when the body starts uh, changing, the cells change, and they look at it under a microscope and give it a name. So medical people, the uh, allopaths, they're very good at giving uh, diseases names and good at um, giving you long-winded Latin and Greek names for um, their... Um, their drugs. Okay, we've got news next. Now, TNT Radio News. The leader of Lebanon's Hezbollah militants met today with top leaders of the Hamas and Islamic Jihad terror groups that Israel keeps hitting with airstrikes inside Gaza. 
the death toll there rapidly rising to more than 5,700 people. The factions inside Gaza, despite these ongoing airstrikes by the Israeli military, have maintained their capability 19 days into this conflict to fire on major population centers with long-range rockets. Earlier today, sirens were sounding in northern Israel, just north of Israel's third-largest city, Haifa. Two million civilians caught in the crossfire in Gaza have been rationing food. Fuel is in short supply. The World Health Organization reports that half of Gaza's health care facilities have stopped functioning with no fuel for generators. U.S. President Biden says humanitarian aid for Gaza has been going in fast enough. President Biden and Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese are holding official talks today to further enhance U.S. relations with Australia, a key partner for countering an increasingly aggressive Beijing in the Indo-Pacific region. As Beijing continues to expand its influence in the Pacific, the U.S. and Australia are expected to make a submarine cable project announcement and two maritime infrastructure announcements relevant to the Pacific Islands. This could help to combat Chinese influence in the Pacific under the Pacific Deterrence Initiative. Under the PDI, the U.S. Department of Defense is prioritizing China as its preeminent pacing challenge and strengthening Indo-Pacific deterrence. Unreliable Internet is a huge problem in the Pacific, and the Biden administration is seeking to help provide high-speed, secure Internet to key islands in the Indo-Pacific. Tucker Carlson sat down with Colonel Douglas McGregor, who laid out a disturbing scenario in which the United States could quickly be pulled into a direct conflict with Iran, Russia, and China over Israel's anticipated response to the October 7th Hamas attack. Do you think that we are moving toward war with Iran? <clears throat> yes, I do. And uh, it looks like the chosen destination is indeed Armageddon. There doesn't seem to be any real appreciation for the implications for us and, and frankly for Europe and the world, as well as the Middle East, of such action. You know, take for an example, just on the economic side, about 20% uh, of the world's oil passes through the Straits of Hormuz every month. Uh, uh, probably 25% of liquefied natural gas. And you're talking about shutting down 2 to 3 million barrels uh, a day of oil from Iran. Uh, you know, this entire region is involved in the war. This is not an Iranian monopoly by any stretch of the imagination. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says they're pointing out the obvious danger. Now, a number of top independent U.S. policy analysts and military experts have come out opposing the Biden administration's unquestioning backing of Israel in this conflict. And they're pointing out the obvious dangers here. With multiple countries now orbiting this crisis zone, anything that could set off the tinderbox that is the Middle East could lead to a multinational conflagration. In other words, nuclear powers could be drawn in. But the real elephant in the room is the one nuclear power that hasn't declared its nuclear arsenal. And, of course, that is the state of Israel. And against all international conventions and treaties, it refuses to declare its own nuclear weapons. So people are naturally worried that it may pull what they call the Samson option if things are looking bleak for Israel in this conflict. And this is the problem. Could this lead to a nuclear war? Would they drag the U.S. in to face Iran? and would Israel deploy its nuclear weapons against Iran? These are problematic questions. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen.
If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Okay. This is a TNT oh. Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Okay, we're getting a bit repetitive there. It is nine past six. Good morning. Welcome to the program. My name's Grant Edwards, and you're listening to the Liberty NZ Breakfast. Let's look at those extremes for New Zealand. Extreme weather. Let's see. Uh, Methven has the highest temperature now. I think it was Dunedin earlier in the day. 21.6 degrees in Methven in the South Island. The lowest is also in the South Island, east eastern Rangitaiki. 9.2. The, the highest wind is really cranking up there at Castle Point. 100 kilometres per hour right now. And the wettest, uh, I guess that'll be a gust, uh, the wettest place to be is uh, eased off a little bit. It was about 9.9 millimetres of rain in Milford Sound. It's now down to 6. Let's look at the uh, temperatures right across the main centres of New Zealand, starting off in Stewart Island, 10 degrees, Invercargill's on 11, Dunedin, 20 degrees, Chatham Island's on 12, Timaru, 11, Christchurch, 18, Blenheim, 16. Back to Queenstown in the middle there, down the bottom, Queenstown, 11 degrees, also France Joseph and Westport on 14, along with Nelson. Across to Wellington in the North Island, at the bottom of the North Island of New Zealand, 14 degrees in Wellington, Masterton, 16, Napier, 17, Palmerston North, 14, New Plymouth, 15, Taupo and Rotorua are both on 13 degrees, uh, Tauranga has 15 degrees, Hamilton, 14, also Auckland, Whangarei is also 14, and Kaitaia has 16 degrees. The short forecast, uh, we have a severe weather system and it's bringing very heavy rain, gale force winds and snow to low levels in the south. Can't, it's hard to believe with those temperatures I just talked about. For nor- something going on with the weather. Uh, Northland, Auckland, Coromandel Peninsula and the Bay of Plenty, cloudy periods and isolated showers. For Waikato to Wellington, also including the central high country and the Wairapa, Cloudy with areas of rain or drizzle becoming widespread this evening. Severe gale force northwesterly winds about Wellington and the Wairapa. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, it's going to be fine today. For Nelson and Marlborough and Canterbury as well, uh, you've got mostly cloudy weather with scattered rain spreading north and severe northwesterly gales in exposed places. For Bullen, Westland and Fiordland, periods of rain with heavy and possibly thundery falls. Snow going down to 200 metres in Fiordland this evening. Otago and Southland, a period of early morning rain, followed by heavy showers and snow lowering to 200 metres tonight. Northwesterly gales in exposed places this morning. And for the Chatham Islands, partly cloudy. In a moment we'll go back to the newspapers and we'll go back to Radio New Zealand and see what's fresh there. It's 13 minutes past. We all know but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. To use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our preparedness for a potential 
cyber pandemic. And that is Klaus Schwab, so that looks like it sounds like it's going to be the next thing. So what do we have? We started off with COVID. That was the beginning of World War III, wasn't it? COVID, and then it's climate change. Everything's climate change, and he's just given us a, a heads up that it's going to be a cyber attack. And that might mean that might take us off air. We might not be able to communicate with one another. That would be just what they want, I would think. Let's go back to Radio New Zealand and look at the front page headings here. United Nations chief rejects Israel's accusations. He justified Hamas attacks. Well, I think he did too. And we'll go see if I've got time to get over to um, some of the newspapers. I'm having trouble actually getting on to the Times of Israel and also Reuters this morning. Uh, but I do have Israel National News, but I'm not sure if they covered that story. It was definitely covered on the Times of Israel, but uh, we'll see if I can get there anyway. Uh, but anyway, so that's what he says. So the U- UN Secretary General, General, his name is Antonio Guterres, and he said that he was shocked by the misrepresentations by some of his statements to the Security Council. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think I'll, I think I'd believe the um, the Israelis before I believe you. Cyclone Lola lashes Vanuatu's northern province. It's now heading south. Well, according to Windy, it's heading northwest. Uh, reports are emerging from of, of widespread damage from Vanuatu's northern provinces, where Cyclone Lola first made landfall. Well, how could there be? They said that there's been no communication. So how would there be reports? Something fishy going on with that. Peter's tweet about what Ardern knew before the 15th of March attacks, clearly inaccurate according to the Prime Minister's office. The New Zealand First Leader has accused Dame Jacinda Ardern of an appalling lack of transparency over what she knew about the 15th of March terror attack back in 2019 before they happened. They reject it. Also, there's a good friend of mine here, David Cryer. He's, uh, it says here, project looks at, or this project looks at power and potential of comics in medicine. Uh, so this is in the detail. And um, so that's, you can go over, so it's a long jobby there. And uh, it's just come up a few moments ago. Comics are helping to bridge the gap between patients and scientists when it comes to sharing important information. And also with the chick, the chick tracks, they have wonderful information. Those are the ones put out by Chick.com. Wonderful information about our history, about Christianity, about Islam, uh, about the Roman Catholic Church. And they're in the Alberto series of comics uh, done by a wonderful cartoonist by the name of Jack Chick, who's now since gone to be with the Lord. But those, those, they were really good information in those. So if you can get your kids those, we've got an agent in Wellington here. And so um, I think, oh, I can't, Bruce, I think it's Bruce... Somebody can't remember his last name. But anyway, if you go on chick.com, that's just like chicken, but just chick, uh, chick.com, you can find those comics, the Alberto series. Every young person should be reading those comics to give them some uh, information, some truthful information about the cults, about the Roman Catholic system of religion. Not the people. The people are wonderful. Many of them are wonderful. But that system of religion and also Islam and how the Roman Catholic Church actually invented Islam and they wrote the Quran and they did that because they wanted to harness the Arabs into a, um, a militant force to fight the Jews that's the whole, whole aim the whole aim is the Jews must be killed all of them and that's what, that's what the Muslim terrorists are all about that's what they're there for they are there for the destruction of the Jewish people and that's what Adolf Hitler wanted to do. Why? Because he was under orders from the Roman Catholic Church. 
to annihilate the Jews. Why? Because of replacement theology. Because they believe, they teach, that whenever the word Israel is mentioned in the Old Testament, it now refers to the Roman Catholic Church. And so there's no more promises. And so when when Titus, the Roman uh, leader of the Roman Empire, Titus and his men, they sacked uh, Jerusalem in AD 70 and, and the, all the Jews there were scattered scattered right throughout the world ended up in Europe and uh, now God has br- brought them back into the land hasn't he brought them back into the land which he promised them that he would all of them the 12 tribes back heading back and uh, the Roman Catholic Church want to stop it you'll find that the Roman Catholic system of religion is behind every war and see people say, oh, there's all these wars, you know, it's all you Christians fighting. Uh, no, in actual fact, ideology, political ideology, there's more wars caused through socialism and communism and Marxism and fascism and all that. There's, sorry, more deaths caused through that and more wars as well. Yes, that's right. But um, it's not religion. But there are, there are two religions behind all of it, and that is Roman Catholicism, which is not Christianity. It's a counterfeit Christianity. And it's there as it's actually the enemy of Christians. And there's Christians within the Roman Catholic system, and they're commanded in Scripture, in Revelation, to come out. Come out of her, my brethren, and don't be having any part of it. Because Roman Catholicism is ancient Babylonian goddess worship. And so the Jesus of the Roman Catholic system is not the Jesus of the Bible, even though they use a Bible. All the cults use Bibles. So you, you need to get out of it. So comics are brilliant, that little project there. Many of you will disagree with me, but that's what I believe. And if I get time, I'll read out some comments that people have been making, some good and some not so good about uh, some of the things that I say. So that's all good. We can't all be, dis- all be agreeing with one another, can we? New Zealand calls for humanitarian pause in Gaza. We're reading from New, uh, Radio New Zealand News at the moment. New Zealand has joined calls for another, uh, and other countries for humanitarian pause in Gaza in a statement delivered to the United Nations Security Council. Ah, good grief. Parliament staffer called police within minutes of receiving Christchurch terrorist manifesto. A parliamentary staffer made an emergency call to the police within two minutes of receiving an email with the, uh, with the Christchurch terrorist manifesto, despite thinking it could be a crank. Well, he did the right thing. So they say, but I suppose it'll all come out in the end. A man arrested at a university hall appears in the Christchurch District Court on weapons charges. The man's been granted interim name suppression and has been remanded on bail. Remanded on bail. Okay. Now, we've got a lot to get through, according to Chris Hipkins. A lot to get through. Parliament closed down. Period will be shorter. Incoming Prime Minister Chris Luxon says, he said there's a lot of work to do and a lot of work to be done. He says the Parliament will need to run longer and to get through it. National Party leader and incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has been telling reporters. Uh, What else have we got here? A man dies in custody before facing charges over a dairy stabbing. Auckland-led way as New Zealand population grew 2.1% in a year, ending in June. I suppose when they're all locked down. Oh, no, they weren't locked down then. That was between 22 and 20... Oh, I better just check and make sure and see what the dates are on that. Might be because they're all locked down. They had nothing else to do. 
Every region of the country has experienced population growth in the past year, following two years in which several shrank. Oh, okay. Uh, Statistics New Zealand data shows that the 16 regions, Auckland was the, out of them, Auckland was the fastest growing in the year to June. Fastest growing? What is that because, is that because, oh, it won't be because of having babies. Because of bringing in more migrants, won't it? Estimates and projections manager Michael Askill, he said that uh, Auckland grew by 47,000 people, 2.8% in the year ending June, reversing a population loss in 2022. About 78% of, new, of Aucklanders, new Aucklanders, were recent arrivals to the country. There you go, immigrants. And half of them probably weren't even able to speak English. He said Auckland gained people through international migration, but lost people through international migration, continuing the pattern since the late 1990s. National, the nationally rather, the population grew 2.1 percent, about 105,900. So that's how many new people we've had come in. How many went out though? Let's see if this story tells us. So that was um, 105,900 people in the year ending June 2023, 18 times higher than the previous year. Uh, when it flatlined at 0.1%. Otago, Waikato and the Bay of Plenty regions also grew faster than New Zealand average. Uh, the fastest growing district was by far Queenstown Lakes, which went up 8%. That's 3,900 new residents, with 2,500 coming from overseas. Hmm. Meanwhile, deaths exceeded births in some regions. A record 16 out of 67 territorial authority areas experienced natural diseases, and a record 16 out of 67 territorial authorities. Eh? Meanwhile, deaths. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's causing that. Eh. Well, we don't know. We'll find out. So it says here, um, in the year ended June 2023. That's what he said. What, they decrease more than deaths than births. Oh. Uh, the area with the largest natural decreases, including Dunedin. Uh, that's 190 more deaths than births. Thames Coromandel District, 170. Kapiti Coast, 160. Nelson City, 100 more. Whanganui, uh, not Whanganui, Wanganui. Hasn't got an H in it, they just stuck it in. Uh, silly, isn't that? 90 more. And Timaru, 90 more. 80 more. 80 more deaths. With the exception of Boulder District, all areas experienced natural decrease. Uh, still had population growth due to net migration. So we're dying from the vaccine injuries, from the jab injuries. That's what it is. The all-cause mortality rate is up through the roof in every country in the world that were given this experimental biological agent brought to you by Pfizer and Moderna and all the other crooks. And uh, our government knew about it. 11,000 elite got um, exemptions and were still able to work. And while the rest of us didn't, then Winston Peters, if he's serious about it, he needs to uh, talk about that as well. And that needs to be brought in. Uh, but Counterspin Media, just go and follow them. Get over to counterspinmedia.com and find out what the truth is because those guys are really digging into it. And they are loyal to this country. Okay, so that is that wee story. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, what else have we got here on the front page? We've got the man arrested. Christopher Luxon wants us all to get to get them, get those politicians working. The man that died in custody before facing charges. Oh, that's right. Now there was a, there was a the dairy, not a dairy farm, but a dairy owner. That's interesting. He's died in custody. Okay, a man charged over the stabbing of two people in the West Auckland dairy earlier this month. I think that was up near Myora Road, in in um, 
not New Lynn, what's that place called, sort of New Windsor or somewhere out around there. Yes, New Windsor. Um, so he died in custody. The assault on a couple who owned a dairy in New Windsor on the 5th of October left them hospitalised with, a, with a man, one man in critical condition. The man was arrested, that's the attacker. Uh, he faced two charges of wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm and was due to appear in the Auckland District Court yesterday. His lawyer, Ben Balsamworth, he told Balsamworth, yes, he told the court that his client had died in custody and that he had been talking to Crown Lawyer or Crown Law about the withdrawal of, of the charges. Earlier this month, police said a number of people were in the shop at the same time, at the time of the attack, and they managed to intervene and restrain the offender. The court expects to hear the application to withdraw the charges next month, but he's dead. The Independent Police Conduct Authority said it was investigating. You don't hold your breath. So that's what, that one there. I think we've got this absolute corrupt country. We really do. So that's that. Auckland led the way with all oh, the population. We talked about that. Tropical cyclone. There's something weird going on with that thing. I'll just see what Radio New Zealand say. We looked at News Hub before, didn't we? Uh, hang on, we're going a bit slow here. I'll just see if I can get us there. What are we up to now? 21 minutes past. We'll hear from Sam Edwards as well, Samantha Edwards' uh, reports. And uh, she is on, oh, she's on the Alex Jones, what's it called now? Da, 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 um, Band, not video. And Mad Max TV, and also, but you can find those links uh, of her. She's done about eight really good documentaries, and you can find those links over at countersmanmedia.com. While you're there, push the forward slash, <laughs> type in donate, and you'll end up on the donate page. Or there's a link in there as well, countersmanmedia.com. Give them some money, they need it because they're doing great work, and uh, hopefully, they're going to start a radio station. That'll be good. So, we'll all look forward to that. And I'm sure that they'll be bringing us some amazing stuff. It'd be great if it, boy if we could, if we could get that up to what TNT is like, the international uh, 24-hour seven radio station with 44 radio announcers. If we could get that to that stage, wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, so you never know. We just it's just got to be planned properly, and um, that could be something to look forward to. Now, what was I going to do? I was trying to get into here, and it won't go. It won't go in. Uh, Oh, I'll just see if I can get us into that story. Uh, yes, okay, so we're going to talk about the tropical cyclone. And you, there's uh, wonderful um, CGI pictures there. If you go to um, Radio New Zealand, they've got the CGI pictures. But when I go over to uh, Windy and I have a look at it, it looks nothing like what they're saying. Uh, I'll just go there now. And uh, so I'll just zoom out to give you people, if uh, you're watching on Rumble, um, you can see that there's uh, there's nothing happening at all. Uh, there's no wind at all. I'm over there at, uh, there's this, the eye of the storm. It's just off to the east of Luganville. And uh, we've got port um, down a bit further to the southeast. We've got, um, uh, what have we got? What airport is that? I can't, it's Port Vila. Uh, but it's actually come down through, past Luganville, between the islands on its way to Port Vila, and it's headed back out again. So, uh, and the, the winds are, that's the eye of the storm. Of course, the eye of the storm is nothing. It's zero degrees in the middle, one not degrees, one kilometre per hour. 23 knots, I'm just moving around here. There's the most lot, uh, lot of wind is further out, of course. There's more wind further away from the eye. 30 knots, 30 knots, 27 knots. So there's nothing, it's, no, it's a no, no burger. I don't see how, the, yesterday I, I saw it around 46 knots, 50 knots. That's fair hiking. 
but we're having that now right now at Castle Point on the on the west coast of on the uh, east coast of New, of the North Island of New Zealand. And so I don't know what the heck's going on. Something weird about that story, if you ask me. It just doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. But let's have a look at it anyway. See what they say. They say tropical cyclone Lola has cut off communications. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you know all this information then if they've cut off communications? Anyway, it cut it off with uh, Panama Province uh, since last night. Uh, it makes landfall on the northern islands. So hang on, I'll just check and see when they wrote this thing. That was yesterday. Okay, so that was on Tuesday. Tropical cyclone. Yep, severe tropical cyclone. Lola dropped it from, from to a Category Three strength. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at what they're saying. The average wind speed at the centre at the centre. Well, it's like one knot, and here they're saying 150 kilometres per hour, which is like 100. That's about 95 knots. It's just nonsense. Gusting up to 205 kilometres per hour. Rubbish. I can't see how that could possibly be true, according to Vanuatu's Met Service. Gosh, well, they need to update it. But with the communications cut off, it's hard to know what impact has been for those islands at this stage. Salwai told Morning Report. Who's Salwai? I must have missed out a paragraph. Did I? Oh, minister. The Vanuatu Prime Minister. Her name is Charlotte, or could be, maybe if it's French, it could be Shalor. I don't know. Salwai, anyway. So that's what she said. Vanuatu's National Disaster Management Office, they have activated uh, offices in six provinces ready to carry out a rapid assessment after the cyclone. The capital of Port Vila is on red alert. That was yesterday. And all government offices, markets and banks are closed until further notice. The centre of the cyclone is moving away from Pentecost Island to the Malakula, is it? Malikula area. Fiji Met Service expects to to, to make landfall around 10am local time on Wednesday. Oh, this is so old. Why are they shot? Why is this on the front page? Anyway, nothing happened. And I just... Makes no sense to me. Radio New Zealand Pacific correspondent Hilary Boulay. Uh, she said she's, a port, she's in Port Vila. She said that she sent photos on Tuesday night of the Torba province of fallen trees and destroyed homes. I just it just makes no sense. Okay, so that's Radio New Zealand, and uh, so when we come back, we'll go to News Hub and see if they've got anything new over there. We're um, twenty nine minutes to seven, and uh, of course we'll have TNT Radio News at seven. We'll be right back. Congressman, not the NBC, the media, not no, I am, most I, American I media. I we're talking. Say, I did not say NBC, but but CNN did. And I will tell media you, media in it, the Arab world. And I will CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to. When you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Uh, facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. Well, OK, that's uh, that's exactly right. That's the way I the way I take it as well. OK, the front page on a news hub, the uh, main stories are onlookers stunned as thousands of bees swarm Auckland and Ponsonby. Wow, they do look pretty amazing. And I am shocked, that is in the Middle East, I am shocked the UN chief rejects Israel's accusations that he justified the attacks. Yeah, right, I don't believe you. I believe Israel. Uh, because they are 
they were just a lot more truthful than the other side, that's for sure. Uh, they, they are a democracy. And we even heard earlier, didn't we, just after five, we heard from a former terrorist himself, spent 27 months in Israeli jail, and uh, he was involved with Hamas. And uh, so he, he'll have a, I think is it a fatwa? He'll have a price on his head, that brave young man. And uh, so hopefully... Um, nothing happens to him. Onlookers in Auckland's Ponsonby were stunned this week as thousands of bees in the sky, uh, they swarmed. That's when they take off, isn't it? Just swarm. Very frightening to see it. I've seen it here on the farm. But a beekeeper says it's perfectly normal. The bees are angry and they've taken to the streets in huge numbers. Uh, said uh, That's what was said on X. And it says the bees were buzzing around Ponsonby Road skies near the Three Lamps landmark on Monday. Uh, but Steve Leslie, coordinator of the Auckland Beekeepers Club, he said swarms like the one in Ponsonby are completely normal and the bees aren't angry. Swarming is a hive's natural means of reproduction, he told NewsHub. He said before a swarm leaves the hive, they'll eat a lot of food since they don't know uh, when they're next to get a meal. OK, the bees have full tummies and they're docile. As spring turns to summer, the longer days, warmer temperatures... Uh, blooming flowers are abundant, nectar and pollen and all that jazz, they start flying around. And since there's no, not much, uh, look, they've put Kai in here, but I bet you he didn't say Kai. They haven't got speech marks, I bet you. They, so the, it's what they've done. News Hub have just added the Maori word in there just to, you know, upset everybody. You know, one-sixth of the population, that, and barely hardly any of them within that one-sixth of the population can speak Maori anyway, and they're forcing the Maori language on all of us. And that's what's upsetting people. I think the Maori language is wonderful language. And, you know, our family sp- uh, spoke it. My, my uncle spoke it fluently. Um, he was a, an interpreter in the beehive years ago. Great uncle. Was he? I don't know. I'm not sure. Uncle, family anyway. Edwards. And, uh, you know, it's a great language. But no one wants to have it forced on us. It's through the corporations. They've all become woke, and they have to do it. All the media have to force the Maori language on us. All the schools have been indoctrinated. I just wonder what the kids, the next generation, I wonder what this generation of kids are going to end up being like. They will easily fall for the Antichrist's lies. They'll all be taking the mark of the beast. They're all going to fall for it because they've had decades of brainwashing. So they're just going to be ready for it. And us older folks that know what freedom's like, um, we're trying to warn you, trying to warn them. We're trying to save our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren from enslavement. But I guess there's no way out because the Bible says it's going to happen. And when the Bible says something, it always comes true. So our only hope really is to turn to Jesus Christ, isn't it? Turn to him. Because that's the only way out. Because he's going to, he is going to come back and rescue those that put their trust in him. And you don't need to join a church. You just need to put your faith in him. Call out to him, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ, shall be saved, it says. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Anyway, getting back to the story about the bees. Um, not the birds and the bees, but just the bees. So since there's not much kai, which is the Maori word for Food, and I'll guarantee he never said that. So not much food for bees at the moment. The queens in each hive are laying up massively to produce food. It's called bee larvae. 
and during the warmer months, the hives raise new queens, and just before they hatch, the old queen and about half of the hive leave. That's what he told. This is Leslie. That's what he told News Hub. So the worker bees exit the hive and they wait for the queen, normally last to emerge. The queen flies from 5 to 20 metres and lands on a branch of, you know, on a tree, or a tree. And then the other bees collect around and form a swarm. So that's what they do. Scooter bees then search for the suitable new home to move to, such as a hollow tree trunk with plenty of space. But unfortunately, we tend to cut down old dead trees. <laughs> that's right. But well, we've got plenty of old dead ones on our farm here. So, but what we don't want on the farm is those nasty wasps. Uh, so the lack of um, natural occurring homes for bees in a city like Tamaki Macarau. I bet you he didn't say that. No, he didn't because there's no speech marks there either. So they've just added in. This is what News Hub have done. And Tamaki Macarau, that is the Maori name for Auckland and so we've got this uh, minority group trying to one sixth of the population less than that probably and really it's just a, it's the it's the um, the globalists are trying to it's all part of the divisionary tactics hopefully the National Party will put a stop to it but I doubt it I doubt they will um, so one sixth of the population are lording it over the other five sixths and it's called the marification of New Zealand and that's what they're trying to do. And it's very divisive because people don't want anything forced on them. If you want to learn the Maori language, it should be up to your parents, not some the education department forcing it on you. And so they're trying to do it everywhere. And all these big corporations are saying it when they, you bring them up and they say, Kia ora. I just sell Rosella. Or Rangitoto to you too. And they go, eh, what? And I said, precisely. <laughs> exactly. So Tamaki Makara is Auckland, which means that they take shelter in odd locations. That's the bees. That's what they do. And then they've got they've put Aotearoa in here. No one has um, no one's given. Uh, who gave permission to change the name of New Zealand to Aotearoa, which is a mythical term invented by Europeans in the first place? But who gave that permission? They've started off saying Aotearoa New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand. And now they've dropped New Zealand out altogether. It's just Aotearoa. So this is the fake stream media, folks. This is News Hub. So they've said Aotearoa, which means New Zealand. In fact, it doesn't. Aotearoa is just a, a mythical term. That was never, Maori's never called New Zealand Aotearoa, but they're just using it to divide a country, divide and rule. So apparently New Zealand has 28 native bee species. I didn't know that. Uh, but they've got small and exotic introduced honeybees, and they aren't social insects. Oh, is that right? So they tend to swarm. Um, apparently, about 50,000 honeybees on average in a colony. Now, Leslie, he's the Auckland beekeeper in the club. He said they've swarmed swarm coordinators who can collect new honeybee swarms as they appear, so I suppose you just give them a call. They phone him up, he said. And then um, they go out, you know, wherever they've swarmed to, in a garden or a roof or something, and they organise a beekeeper to come and collect it. And the entire hive will be, uh, they will abscond, completely abandon the hive if conditions are poor. Yes, and that's what happened at our, ours because we just sort of started doing it. But uh, my business partner, she's very good. Uh, she went and did a big course, course on it, but she is pretty good. 
but they did swarm here once, so something must have gone wrong. So that's what happens. Bees in urban environments aren't usual in New Zealand, but they didn't say that, did they? They said Aotearoa, New Zealand. They survive perfectly well in an urban jungle, according to Leslie. According to the Auckland Council, there are hives up on top of City Town Hall at, at the Aotea Centre, and those hives give early warning, warning signs of exotic disease or pest arrival uh, through the port. Do they now? Uh, so beekeepers, they bottle the honey, and some of which is uh, presented as gifts or sold to fund the ongoing health of bees uh, or building maintenance. That's what they do. That's what the council does. Okay, so that's the bee story. Uh, now, other stories from the United Kingdom. A British cop who groomed girls as young as 10 years old on Snapchat has been jailed for life. Does life mean life in the UK? I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure at all. Uh, Bay of Plenty widow of slain mongrel mob boss. She seeks solution to end gang violence in Apodiki. Boy, oh boy. Uh, we've got the full transcript of the, um, the first 111 call about the Christchurch mosque attacks. That's over at News Hub, if you can believe that. And with the gangs. Uh, now, this is, I haven't talked about this, but I better talk about it. This is um, on to do with the election. The uh, National Party says it's going to crack down on gangs, and this is what it's going to look like. I'm just looking at Mitchell now. He's the guy that, um, Mark Mitchell, he's expected to be the uh, Nationals, that's the National Party's their police spokesperson. So he's going to probably end up being Minister of Police. So um, so what, he, what did he say? Well, he said they may gang, may, sorry, may band gang facial tattoos. Um, and that's what's planned for them. Mark Mitchell, Mitchell expects to be the next police minister. He told Checkpoint yesterday night that they will be made to apply foundation. That's women's, women's foundation. When they uh, wake up in the morning or face arrest, gang members with tattoos. What about everyone else with other tattoos? It's just a stupid thing to say, if you ask me. <laughs> I just I don't know. Is he talking out of turn? I don't know. The party is also promising to allow police to search suspected gang members, their vehicles and properties without warrants, and they'll do that with us as well. Otherwise, it's considered discrimination, isn't it? So this was not brought in for the gangs. This was brought in for every New Zealander to take away your freedoms and authorities. So you need to wake up. We don't, don't we? We need to wake up and realise what they're doing. Mitchell says gang activity would also be banned on social media. So they could just say that we're a gang, couldn't they? You know, a group of patriots, you know, uh, that are unhappy with what the government's doing, speaking freely, freedom of expression according to the Bill of Rights, in any way or shape or form we're allowed to, according to the New Zealand Bill of Rights, 1990. Um, And that's all going to fly out the window. We saw them ride roughshod over uh, the Bill of Rights during the COVID uh, pandemic. And now they're going to do it again and use crime. They want crime to get worse. There's always a reason. Problem, reaction, solution. So the problem is gangs. We're all reacting. And now they're coming back. They, they just want to take away more of our freedoms. And they're using gangs to do it. This is the latest. So anyway, tensions are running high following the spate of gang-related violence, which, which they've, I think, they're, I think that the globalists are behind it. I really do. Why has all these ram raids just started straight after the, the lockdowns. And it's not only in New Zealand, it's every country, in the uh, Western country that was locked down. And, uh, you know, every Western country that that uh, 
the globalists want to want to reset. They've got to destroy it first, and then they'll bring in their their one world government. That's the plan. Uh, so the police need to have a proactive tool so that they can get out there and in style. It's just it's just all BS. I can't even bother reading it because I know what I know what they're doing. But people read this stuff and they think, oh yeah, that's good. Oh good, oh, National's doing great. Good on them. Oh man, that's fantastic. What other stories have we got here? Uh, United Kingdom parents warned about helping kids buy first home. I haven't looked at that, so let's look at that one. Uh, let's say the financial ombudsman is warning. Oh, I've got a video that goes over it. How do I get rid of the video? There we are. Clunk. Okay, so a financial ombudsman, or the financial ob- ob- ombudsman, he is warning parents about helping their children buy their first home after a mother lost $50,000. Well, that's not very much, is it? When her relationship with her daughter broke down. These things do happen. That's why you put everything in writing. That's why you have contracts. Uh, the cost of living crisis hitting people hard. Some children, well, lots of people help their kids get into the first home. Lots of, not just poor people, wealthy people. People that have got mortgages all paid off or kids have got to go out. And want, you, you want to get your kids on the, on the, um, on the merry-go-round, don't you? Because it's, it's spinning fast. You've got to get them on as soon as possible. So if you've got some investments, if you've got investment property where you'd mortgage it to help them put, you know, they've got to put, they've got to put up as well. You can't just give them everything. So if they've got sort of 50 grand, you might help them with another 50. Or if they've, you've, they've got 100, save. Or even if they're not 25, you just help them help them get into that first home. The quicker they get into that first home, the better. But anyway, um, basically, uh, this story is basically just, you know, well, to me, you've just got to make sure you have everything written down. You can't go, you can't do contracts when there's money involved. Every contract has to be in writing. Got to have it in writing, otherwise things get out of control. Uh, so, yeah, there was a recent case investigated by the Financial Companies Limited. It saw a mother lose $50,000 that she loaned her daughter uh, to help purchase a property. Uh, they planned to live in together because the loan was not agreed to in writing. There you go. What did I say? Yeah, blah, blah. Not even a nothing story. Okay. And uh, so, British cop groomed. Yep, yeah, got all that. Yeah, gangs, urban dirt bikers. Oh, I haven't. Did I? Did we? No, we didn't look at that. So, we'll have a look at that. This is an opinion piece, though. Uh, and it's about the gangs. There was something about window. Oh, no, gosh. I can't be bothered reading this magazine stuff. Okay, so um, we'll go to stuff in just a moment. I'll be back in a minute. And I still can't get into Israel National News. So, and I can't give you any international news. Don't know what's going on there. We might have a look at NZ News Essentials in a moment. Let's do that. Let's forget about stuff. Or forget about the fake stream media. And uh, also, oh gosh, we've got um, Samantha Edwards too. She's up shortly. So I'll be right back with her in just a moment. Just, just one moment, callers. Be right back. Yeah, we have some, some good information from Jim Ron. Poor people usually spend their money and invest what's left. That's the philosophy of the poor. Now, here's the philosophy of the rich. Rich people invest their money and spend what's left. And here's the startling answer. It really doesn't matter what the amount is. What's most important is not the amount. What's really important is the philosophy. So I would ask you to adopt this philosophy of spending after you have invested. Invest first, then spend. 
Okay, very good sound advice, isn't it? It's 11 minutes to 7 here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards, your host. Uh, we, I won't go to NZ News Essentials or any of the others because we're running a bit short of time. I want to, I better get onto it right away. Let's hear from Samantha Edwards, and it's from her documentary, which you'll find at counterspinmedia.com. And the, it is called Winston Rides Again. Here's Samantha Edwards. Speaking of money and donations, let's have a look at how New Zealand First is funded. Well, actually, it's not that easy to look at. As much of this funding appears to be wrapped up in the New Zealand First Foundation, strategically set up in 2017 and accused of being founded on a sham by the Crown itself in 2022. Back in 2020, it had already been publicly accused of being a front for its true purpose, a political slush fund controlled by Winston's trusted advisers. In February 2020, the Serious Fraud Office received a referral from the New Zealand Police in relation to the New Zealand First Foundation and the donations received therein. A week later, the Serious Fraud Office commenced an investigation into the alleged offences, which they deemed to be significant and serious. In September 2020, the Serious Fraud Office charged two New Zealand First Foundation members with obtaining donations by deception, and a request for their name suppression was immediately filed. Then, all of a sudden, up popped Cam Slater, fighting hard in support of this name suppression and filing an affidavit to support the bid. A little unusual, seeing Cam had no open public affiliation with the New Zealand First Foundation at all, Cam then published a set of photos soon after on his whale oil website which were of Guy Onespina and another journalist speaking to the president of the New Zealand First Foundation while they were actively investigating the serious fraud case situation. The photos were taken hidden paparazzi style and were accompanied by baseless belittling of Guyan's reporting and strongly defending New Zealand First. This article here is actually a very revealing article that I recommend you read if you'd like to know more about this situation. It makes it clear that although Winston tried to separate himself from the foundation after the allegations were made, he was very much an integral part of the foundation. Espiner had even uncovered foundation board minutes showing that Peters was present and signing off on the dubious activities, and also at least 20 invoices addressed to the Right Honourable Winston Raymond Peters himself. The way Guyon described the scene was like this. Peters has crafted an image of New Zealand First as the party for the little guy. Struggle Street versus Queen Street. Battlers standing up to the corporate raiders of neoliberalism. This conjures up a vision of a party funded by little old ladies buying lamingtons at weekend fundraisers. And if you follow the article through, you'll see that that couldn't be further from the truth. Rather than little old ladies selling lamingtons, you'll see names like Graham Hart, New Zealand's wealthiest man, the uber-rich Vandenbrink family, apartment complex developers and also a major fishing company, all making repeated donations at $5 under the limit so that they can remain private. Funds that were then used for New Zealand first party purposes. A letter was also tabled in Parliament by New Zealand First trustee, Brian Henry, with a direct threat to sue Guyan Espiner, as well as any MP who spoke publicly as a result of Guyan's publications, for up to $30 million. However, getting back to the photos that appeared on Cam Slater's website, 
On his Magic Mornings show, Peter Williams questioned Winston Peters about the source of those photos that appeared on Cam's whale oil site, asking about their apparent covert nature and whether New Zealand First Foundation had hired a private investigator and then given the photos to Cam Slater. Winston replied saying they hadn't employed a PI, saying, quote, we took those photos. Well, there's a photograph of Espina with uh, um, Lester Gray meeting in Tauranga and then with yeah, uh, Matt, Ch Matt Chan coming to join them a few minutes later. Yeah, I know. Look, Mr Williams, I know that. We took the photograph. It certainly is interesting that immediately after the photos were taken, the only place they were published was on Cam Slater's whale oil site. Now, some have told me that I joined dots that I shouldn't have in my last piece, the election PSYOP video, which went into connections between New Zealand First, Cam Slater, VFF and RCI Radio, and also mentioned the Association of Voters United. I also suggested links between AstroTurf Glenn Inwood with Shane Jones, the Curia Poll's David Farrar, Voices for Freedom and of course Cam Slater. And I talked about how they all seemed to link back to New Zealand first. Since my election PSYOP video, those very same key players have been proven to be connected through a project called VoteWise. VoteWise is another Teach the Public How to Vote AstroTurf campaign to influence the public vote, launched by the SB Group. The SB Group was registered as a third-party promoter for New Zealand First's Shane Jones candidacy in Northland and co-directed by Glenn Inwood and Voices for Freedom coordinator Daniel Tyther, two people that I mentioned in my election PSYOP video. Seeing this group is set up as a promoter for New Zealand First, we now have a clear direct link between resistance Kiwis Glenn Inwood, who's also been exposed to astroturfing in the business world, and a connection to Voices for Freedom. So, why is Voices for Freedom involved in the creation and direction of a New Zealand First Third Party Promotions Group? And as VFF own Reality Check Radio, is this a conflict of interest? The Dominion Post reported recently that the VoteWise project is another New Zealand First organisation that appears to have been set up with the purpose of exploiting a loophole in the electoral law in regards to disclosure of political donations. Even though it's ridiculous to think that Shane Jones hasn't given the SB Group authorization to do what they do, the group is set up in such a way that if legal trouble did arise, he would be protected. Which seems to have been the situation with Winston Peters, with the New Zealand First Foundation's serious fraud office case. Winston denied all knowledge of the shady goings-on at the New Zealand First Foundation, but still, the serious fraud office alleged that members of the New Zealand First Foundation were operating a fraudulent scheme over a four-year period well into 2020 to conceal nearly $750,000 worth of donations and that they had deceived the Electoral Commission and voting public by having that three-quarters of a million dollars in party donations paid into non-party bank accounts. The donors included some of the wealthiest people in New Zealand from the business world and particularly the horse racing industry. The funds were then spent on a range of party endeavours, including leasing and furnishing office space on Wellington's Lambton Quay for the New Zealand First headquarters, as well as a guest appearance fee of nearly $10,000 for Kiwi boxing champ Joseph Parker and a $25,000 cinematic video of Peter's touring New Zealand on a bus. 
It was revealed that New Zealand First Foundation donations funded these buses as well as advertising. Slick TV and social media advertising like this can't come cheap. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all those doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is New Zealand and everything that's in it, and which is more, will all be Kiwis, everyone. This year, there's been a distinct theme in New Zealand First advertising of Winston Peters being somewhat of an avenger, a vigilante, here to sort out the vermin and take out the trash. As he rides his horse, dressed like a cowboy, there's a definite, here he comes to bring retribution to a renegade government kind of vibe. To govern a country, you need experience. And this is not our first rodeo. What we have to decide is, are we going to fall for this propaganda? Or are we smarter than that? Is this man truly the anti-establishment hero that we're being sold? Or is he actually an employee of the establishment, playing a character sent out to wrangle the disenchanted? He's one of us now, he says. Just a good old Kiwi bloke on the end of a fishing rod in his oilskin coat. But let's not forget, he's usually dressed in expensive suits. And this Kiwi bloke fishing picture is him on his mansion's front lawn, fishing during lockdown while most of us were cooped up in a city flat somewhere. But hey, it's no wonder he's back in the saddle. When you've campaigned off the back of false promises as many times as Winston Peters has... Yet the people keep forgetting all about it like a bunch of goldfish brains. Well, it's no surprise he's right back up on the horse, ready to give it another gallop. Chapter 24. A Polly We Can Trust? Or, A Bunch of Bulldust? We can't ignore the fact that Winston came down and said hi to the protesters at Parliament in February 22, and that he said many things that had us believing he might be the genuine article. But we have to weigh that action against his other actions, and we also have to ask what his motives may have been. What was in it for him? Could he simply have been responding to a field of voters ripe for harvest? Was he simply spending some time making a good impression so that he could cash in on that later down the track? More importantly, after that day, did he stand for those people he met when he could, when it mattered? Did he fight to have the mandates abolished? Did he use his platform to expose the immense amount of jab injury and harm that he learned about while talking with those at the protest? And has he ever sincerely worked to expose the truth behind the COVID scam? Or did he actually just carry on after that, promoting the mandates and the poison? Well, in the last hour or so, we've seen the answers to those questions. 
And those answers should help us to predict whether he is likely to stand for the truth if he gets back into Parliament. The best predictor of future behaviour is past behaviour. On the 25th of September, Luxon announced what we always knew he would, that he's considering a coalition with New Zealand First. We all know that the National Party is the next globalist bloodsucker lined up to be installed inside our Parliament. We all know that the ACT Minion Party will be standing on the left of National once they're in, with David Seymour gleefully cleaning Luxon's spurs for him. But make no mistake, Winston would love to be standing on Luxon's right. And that is what will ensure that every promise Winston makes on his election campaign trail will, ultimately, bite the dust. So, you have to ask yourself, when that hour comes, will you rue the day that you trusted Winston Peters? Well, there you are, folks. That is Samantha Edwards. You'll find her video at uh, Samantha Edwards' report, counterspinmedia.com. Counterspinmedia.com. Make sure you give them a donate when you get in there as well. They need it and are doing great work. Great work. All right, news is next. TNT Radio News. The leader of Lebanon's Hezbollah militants met today with top leaders of the Hamas and Islamic Jihad terror groups that Israel keeps hitting with airstrikes inside Gaza. The death toll there rapidly rising to more than 5,700 people. The factions inside Gaza, despite these ongoing airstrikes by the Israeli military, have maintained their capability 19 days into this conflict to fire on major population centers with long-range rockets. Earlier today, sirens were sounding in northern Israel, just north of Israel's third largest city, Haifa. Two million civilians caught in the crossfire in Gaza have been rationing food. Fuel is in short supply. The World Health Organization reports that half of Gaza's health care facilities have stopped functioning with no fuel for generators. U.S. President Biden says humanitarian aid for Gaza has been going in fast enough. President Biden and Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese are holding official talks today to further enhance U.S. relations with Australia, a key partner for countering an increasingly aggressive Beijing in the Indo-Pacific region. As Beijing continues to expand its influence in the Pacific, the U.S. and Australia are expected to make a submarine cable project announcement and two maritime infrastructure announcements relevant to the Pacific Islands. This could help to combat Chinese influence in the Pacific under the Pacific Deterrence Initiative. Under the PDI, the U.S. Department of Defense is prioritizing China as its preeminent pacing challenge and strengthening Indo-Pacific deterrence. Unreliable Internet is a huge problem in the Pacific, and the Biden administration is seeking to help provide high-speed, secure Internet to key islands in the Indo-Pacific. Tucker Carlson sat down with Colonel Douglas McGregor, who laid out a disturbing scenario in which the United States could quickly be pulled into a direct conflict with Iran, Russia, and China, over Israel's anticipated response to the October 7th Hamas attack. Do you think that we are moving toward war with Iran? <clears throat> yes, I do. And uh, it looks like the chosen destination is indeed Armageddon. There doesn't seem to be any real appreciation for the implications for us and, and frankly for Europe and the world, as well as the Middle East, of such action. You know, take for an example, just on the economic side, about 20% uh, of the world's oil passes through the Straits of Hormuz every month. 
probably 25% of liquefied natural gas. And you're talking about shutting down two to three million barrels uh, a day of oil from Iran. Uh, you know, this entire region is involved in the war. This is not an Iranian monopoly by any stretch of the imagination. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says they're pointing out the obvious danger. Now, a number of top independent U.S. policy analysts and military experts have come out opposing the Biden administration's unquestioning backing of Israel in this conflict. And they're pointing out the obvious dangers here. With multiple countries now orbiting this crisis zone, anything that could set off the tinderbox that is the Middle East could lead to a multinational conflagration. In other words, nuclear powers could be drawn in. But the real elephant in the room is the one nuclear power that hasn't declared its nuclear arsenal. And, of course, that is the state of Israel. And against all international conventions and treaties, it refuses to declare its own nuclear weapons. So people are naturally worried that it may pull what they call the Samson option if things are looking bleak for Israel in this conflict. And this is the problem. Could this lead to a nuclear war? Would they drag the U.S. in to face Iran? And would Israel deploy its nuclear weapons against Iran? These are problematic questions. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Six past seven with uh, Grant Edwards, and uh, that's my lot till tomorrow. But let's look at the weather before I go and uh, the highs. Let's look at the highs. Highs, highs and lows, extremes for the country. Ashburton now 21.9 is the highest temperature. The lowest is in eastern Rangitaiki, 9.3. Castle Point, the wind has eased off a bit. The gusts now from 100 kilometres per hour down to 85 kilometres per hour. Milford Sound, 2.2 millimetres of rain falling there. The short forecast, uh, we've got a severe weather system and it's bringing heavy rain, gale force winds and snow to low levels in the south. Uh, for Northland, Auckland, Coromandel Peninsula and the Bay of Plenty. Cloudy periods, isolated showers developing this morning um, for Waikato and Wellington, including the central high country and also Wairarapa. Cloudy periods, patchy rain or drizzle, becoming widespread this evening. Severe northwesterly gales about Wellington and Wairarapa. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, you've got fine weather. For Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, mostly cloudy with scattered rain spreading north. Severe northwesterly gales in Canterbury. Uh, the High Country and Marlborough Sounds. For Buller, Westland and Fiordland, periods of rain with heavy falls, possibly thundery. Snow lowering to 200 metres in Fiordland this evening. For Otago, Southland, showers easing this morning and then becoming widespread and heavier this afternoon with snow lowering to 200 metres tonight, northwesterly gales in the morning. And finally for the Chatham Islands, cloudy periods. OK, well, Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning. It's seven minutes past seven. Tomorrow morning here at the Liberty NZ, uh, we'll catch you. And now, uh, for those of you that are uh, looking at us on other things, uh, go across to the best place to see us. Most of the listeners are on Zeno FM. Uh, there's other apps as well, but uh, Zeno.fm or the Zeno radio app, that Z-E-N-O. Um, yep, so uh, look forward to carrying on there. We've got some country music coming up. Today's best country here at the wireless. Okay, see you tomorrow morning. And, you know, and I also, what what really drives me nuts is the narrative that I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just anti-Israeli policy. 
Well, okay, we can have that debate. Uh, we can certainly have the debate about Israeli policy. That's fine. I, I, nobody's arguing that that debate. But to sit there and try and equate what the IDF is doing now, uh, given what we know that Hamas did on October 7th, I think is uh, missing the forest for the trees. And, and I'm going to say it, it screams anti-Semitic uh, in many ways to me. The founder of Hamas, his own son, and I'm sure you've heard about this fellow, uh, Mossab Hassan Youssef, has told everybody, uh, and I'm quoting him here when he says this, he says, look at the division and the global confusion because of Hamas. They brought us to our knees somehow by their brutality and their barbarism. Brutality is even understating Hamas's acts. Hamas is a religious movement. They are raging. They are a raging religious movement against Israel. The mainstream media cannot say this because they're afraid to ignite a religious war. And what I say already is they want to annihilate the Jewish people because they are Jewish people. And they want to annihilate the Jewish state because it is a Jewish state. Now, that's the son of the founder of Hamas, and yet I'm supposed to believe some pencil-neck geek that has a uh, ha- has some bone to pick or some axe to grind against the Israeli policy. That is Steve Hook, and you'll find him at tntradio.live. tntradio.live. Make sure you get over there and listen to them. Thanks a lot. We'll see you tomorrow.